0: My name is Dr. Joshua Nabb. I'm a board-certified clinical psychologist and 21st century Christ follower. Early in life, I experienced overwhelming psychological suffering, which led me down a path of wandering away from the Christian faith in my adolescent years, reminiscent of the lost son in Luke's gospel, returning to my Christian heritage in my early 20s, my own psychotherapy in my mid-20s, and ultimately a life committed to understanding and pursuing psychological and spiritual health as I now head into the middle years of my life. Please join me as we devote each week to better understanding secular and Christian perspectives on mental health and the intersection between psychology and Christianity. Then engage in a 10-minute practice to conclude each episode drawing upon Christian meditation, prayer, and contemplation. Above all else, my aim in this podcast is to journey with fellow Christ followers as well as those who are curious about the rich heritage of Christian psychological and spiritual insights into the human condition, doing so with humility and curiosity as we strive to cultivate Christlikeness in all we do. Hi, this is Dr. Joshua Nabb, and welcome to the 45th episode of The Christian Psychologist. In this episode, I'd like to talk about a topic that is extremely important for Christian mental and spiritual health. It's a topic that's also been increasingly written on, theorized about, and researched in the secular psychology literature in the 21st century. Humility. Although it's certainly lacking in many circles in the 21st century, and many people do not see it as a positive quality anymore, as Christians we are called to be humble as we emulate Jesus Christ. So I'd like to discuss humility and its implications from both secular and Christian perspectives, given i believe it's absolutely essential in the christian life and in our pursuit of sanctification or christlikeness with the indwelling of the holy spirit i believe humility rightly defined and practiced can help us to respond differently to psychological and spiritual suffering too which means it's highly relevant for mental health to start the podcast i'd like to ask a few opening questions what is humility Is there a healthy version of it? Is there an unhealthy version? What are its ingredients? Is it a state or a trait? How might humility improve our mental and spiritual health? And what are some ways to develop Christian humility in daily life? What, if anything, does the Bible say about the topic? And how, if at all, might a biblical definition and display of humility be similar to, as well as different from, secular definitions and practices of humility? And finally, what might classic Christian spiritual writings say about humility, and how can we use such practices to cultivate and maintain humility in daily life? To offer a few opening quotes, Confucius once said, quote, Humility is the solid foundation of all virtues. Albert Einstein is quoted as saying, A true genius admits that he or she knows nothing. Turning to Christianity, in his letter to the Ephesians, the Apostle Paul taught, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And in Philippians, he said, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. In James, we read, quote, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. The great Christian writer, Augustine, is quoted as saying, quote, it was pride that changed angels into devils. It is humility that makes men as angels. The 20th century French philosopher and Christian mystic Simone Weil once said, quote, humility is attentive patience. Mother Teresa taught, quote, There are the few ways we can practice humility. To speak as little as possible of oneself. To mind one's own business. Not to want to manage other people's affairs. To avoid curiosity. To accept contradictions and correction cheerfully. To pass over the mistakes of others. To accept insults and injuries. To accept being slighted, forgotten, and disliked to be kind and gentle, even under provocation. Never to stand on one's own dignity, to choose always the hardest, end quote. The Christian writer Andrew Murray wisely said, quote, humility is perfect quietness of heart. It is to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me and when I am blamed or despised. Is to is to have a blessed home in the Lord, where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my father in secret, and am at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around and above is trouble. The late Trappist monk Thomas Merton wrote Pride makes us artificial and humility makes us real. Again and again we read that humility is to be strived for in the Christian life. Although the the world may celebrate pride, being proud of things, Christians are to emulate Jesus Christ, who emptied himself, took on the form of a vulnerable human, sacrificed himself on a cross, and has called us to follow him as those who serve and sacrifice for others, considering others better than ourselves. Before turning to the secular psychology literature, I'd like to tell a personal story. So I could still remember the environment I was in, like it was yesterday. I entered a meeting with several colleagues with high hopes that my vision for a project, an important project, would be celebrated by all, if I'm being honest. Yet, as the meeting unfolded, it quickly turned into a sort of battle of wills, with many gifted leaders in the room attempting to cast their own vision for the project. As my own agenda was increasingly derailed, or at least I I thought it was, I can remember feeling angry given I had a clear expectation that I, not others, would be leading the way, and my ideas were somehow going to be the best or superior. Filled with anger, I began to shut down, thinking to myself that I would not participate in this meeting if I did not have the autonomy and control to direct both the meeting and project. And as I sat there quietly and the meeting concluded, I quickly said my goodbyes to my colleagues and left the office, furious that I was not at the center. I was not leading the way. Yet something interesting happened in the hours and days that followed. I felt the Holy Spirit convicting me, revealing that the specific project was not the most important part of the meeting. My will was not the most important part of the meeting. My ideas were not the most important part of the meeting. Rather, my pride and lack of humility in recognizing that I had gifted, bright colleagues who had more ideas, important ideas to contribute. That was the issue. My pride and need to control, in fact, I think were rooted in a deeper fear that my hard work would be taken from me and someone else would get credit, as well as a sense of shame that my ideas were not good enough and and they would be lost in a room of better ideas that would replace mine. Beneath my anger and pride, I've come to realize we're good old-fashioned fear and shame. And my pride was serving as an ineffective defense against these deeper, more painful emotions. Yet, if humility is really about having an accurate view of ourselves, including our strengths and limitations, and that we're often, if we're honest, average and ordinary, if it's also a willingness to see others as important and special and created in God's image as children of God, then I needed to learn how to humble myself, to let go, to celebrate the accomplishments and achievements and talents and skills of others, and ultimately emulate Jesus, who could have come to earth as a king, but chose to be born in a manger. He chose to live a life of humility as a carpenter, some sort of builder, to live in small towns, and to die a lonely, violent death on a wooden cross, to reconcile us to him. This experience, although painful at the time, revealed my struggles with pride. I need to humble humble myself as a, a way to find true joy in life. There's a freedom in not needing to be the center of attention. Being the center of attention is exhausting. There's a peace, there's a deeper rest that comes from not having to get all the likes on Facebook, not having to be the one with the best ideas, to not have to be the smartest person in the room. There's a freedom also in celebrating the accomplishments, talents, and skills of others. And there's a freedom in emulating Jesus Christ and following God's will. Rather than trying to be like God, like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, there's a freedom in recognizing we were created as finite and dependent, and we're not God. Instead, we're children of God and can find our greatest joy in having, in humility, an accurate understanding of our limitations, our need for dependence, our finitude, and need for God's grace, which is sufficient, as Paul learned in Second Corinthians 12:9. So with this understanding in mind, let's now turn to the secular psychology literature to see what insights we can gain from a few decades of theorizing and researching humility. Although the humility idea has been written on for millennia, more recent attempts have been made to actually define with more precision maybe the measure of Humility, to measure humility in the secular scientific discipline of psychology. In a review article, several psychologists noted that humility often involves an accurate view of oneself as well as a relational approach to others. Other ingredients which emerged in a review article on 22 measures of humility included being open-minded, focused on others, not the self, and not having an inflated ego being open to acknowledging mistakes, being modest, not boastful, having an accurate view of ourselves, including our perceived strengths and limitations, and not being preoccupied with being acknowledged, recognized, and ultimately having a superior social status. We're not preoccupied with always getting likes by others. One more recent research article differentiated... uh, Appreciative humility, which consists of things like being kind, generous, helpful, considerate, compassionate, accepting, empathic, and so forth. And self-abasing humility, which captures being unhappy and shameful and unimportant, embarrassed, worthless, shy, and so forth. So one kind of humility uh, really is about focusing on others, being generous and kind, and another is really about bashing ourselves and shaming ourselves. In yet another work, humility was broken down into four major categories, including intellectual humility, being open to new ideas, relational humility, being focused on others, cultural humility, learning from other cultures, and existential humility, seeing the self as small in contrast with God or a higher power as large. Or big. Finally, one psychologist succinctly defined humility as enoughness, which I really like, enoughness. In terms of the relationship between humility and mental health, in a national survey of over 3,000 participants, findings revealed that humility was positively correlated or linked with well-being and happiness. And in terms of humility intervention research, ways to actually increase humility, one study from about a decade ago found that college students who complete, completed roughly seven hours of a humility workbook that taught them how to identify when humility isn't present, to be less self-focused, to see a bigger picture in life, and acknowledge personal limitations, among other lessons, that when they went through this training, they were more humble, forgiving, and patient, and they were less negative, revealing that humility can be increased through Intentional efforts. So to summarize, theory and research on humility in the secular psychology literature has led to some useful insights from my perspective. Humility is, if it's about having an accurate, other-focused view of oneself, wherein we are open to new information and not preoccupied with our social status, this approach to life can free us up to find joy in all things, or more things maybe rather than constantly trying to inflate ourselves and be the center of attention and constantly get attention from others. Of course, this freedom from an over-preoccupation with the self may be the reason humility is positively linked to happiness and well-being. Simply put, being narcissistic, self-absorbed, and self-preoccupied can leave us miserable, given we never have enough attention. On the other hand, focusing on others and having an accurate, not inflated view of ourselves can easily be liberating and uh, the contemporary antidote to our, look at me and me first world. Yet for Christians, something seems to be missing from the secular world's depiction of humility, even though it can provide some insights. So let's now turn to Christianity and a Christian understanding of humility, which I think offers us an exemplar. Jesus Christ, a motivation for humility and a context for humility that the secular world does not offer. In his famous book on humility, writing over a century ago, the late Christian pastor Andrew Murray opened by powerfully declaring "...when God created the universe, it was the one object of making the creature partaker of his perfection and blessedness, and so showing forth in it the glory of his love and wisdom and power. God wished to reveal himself in and through created beings by communicating to them as much of his own goodness and glory as they were capable of receiving." But this communication was not a giving to the creature something which it could possess in itself, a certain life or goodness of which it had the charge and disposal. By no means, but as God is the ever-living, ever-present, ever-acting One who upholds all things by the word of His power and in whom all things exist, the relation of the creature creature to God could only be one of unceasing, absolute, universal dependence. As truly as God by His power once created, so truly by that same power must God every moment maintain. The creature has not only to look back to the origin and first beginning of existence and acknowledge that it there owes everything to God. Its chief care, its highest virtue, its only happiness, now and through all eternity, is to present itself as an empty vessel in which God can dwell and manifest His power and goodness. We are to be an empty vessel in and through which God can dwell and manifest his power and goodness. So here's our dilemma as human beings. To reach our full potential, we have to acknowledge the reality of our finiteness, our dependence, and our need for God's grace, and consequently be empty vessels for God, which is the ultimate act of humility. In other words, as one Christian psychologist put it, Quote, humility is encouraged because it helps to facilitate self-transcendence, which is a direct or indirect focus of many religious and spiritual traditions. By shifting one's primary focus from the self to something greater beyond the self, the process of self-transcending, of transcending self-interest, helps develop specific character traits, one of which is humility. End quote. Yet for many of us, If we're honest, we want to be like God. And this goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. To be like God or dependent on God. To be like God in our knowledge of good and evil. To be omniscient or to be dependent on God. We want to be at the center. Not acknowledging God as the creator, sustainer, and redeemer. And in so doing, we can easily miss out on the joy of being humbly dependent on God. So let's now turn to some Christian definitions of humility before examining scripture and a classic Christian spiritual writing from Thomas A. Kempis on the topic. So one Bible dictionary, the Holman Bible Dictionary, succinctly defines humility as, "quote the personal quality of being free from arrogance and pride and having an accurate estimate of one's worth whereas the Upper Room Dictionary of Christian Spiritual Formation defines it as, quote, a fundamental and deep-seated openness to God in daily life, as well as recognizing that God has created us out of nothing and that God has given us all our abilities, attitudes, and accomplishments as gifts of grace, end quote. The same dictionary entry goes on to say, Quote, to be humble then means to become profoundly aware of our fragility, mortality, and dependence on God. In his book, Humility, the Joy of Self-Forgetfulness, the pastor Gavin Ortland attempted to clear up a few misunderstandings about humility, noting it's not about hiding or avoiding, it's not about hating oneself, it's not about weakness— Instead, according to Ortland, quote, humility is self-forgetfulness leading to joy. Humility is self-forgetfulness leading to joy. There's a joy in not having to be preoccupied with ourselves, there's a joy in letting go of all of the concerns about ourselves and needing to be at the center. So with these definitions, we can see that we need to have an accurate depiction of ourselves before God. We are the created, and God is the creator. We are dependent, and he is independent. We are finite, and he is infinite. We are limited in our knowledge, and he is limitless. We are imperfect, and he is perfect. We are ultimately powerless, and he is ultimately powerful. Yet despite all of our limitations. God chose to create us, and he chose to redeem us and restore our broken communion with him via the ultimate act of grace. As Paul said, quote, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So let's now turn to scripture to read read one of the most famous verses on humility, which captures Jesus' perfect example. In Philippians 2, we read from the Apostle Paul, quote, in your relationships with one another, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. End quote. Here we have the ultimate example of Jesus, who we are to follow and emulate. God chose to take on human form, live a humble life, and die a humble death so that we could be reconciled to him. So turning now to classic Christian spiritual writings, in Humility and the Elevation of the Mind of God, the famous medieval writer Thomas A. Kempis opened by saying, Learn from me, for I am meek and humble of heart, says the Lord. Our highest teacher and lawgiver, Jesus Christ, urge us to learn the virtue of humility. For whoever cultivates this marvelous virtue will quickly arrive at spiritual perfection. But without humility, no amount of study of sacred scripture or theology, nor any efforts at good works are able to achieve anything lasting. In vain are all our labors, unless they are accompanied by humility. The very first lesson of Christ is, therefore, humility of heart. For this is the foundation of all virtues, and indispensable to the attainment of eternal salvation. Whoever desires to receive grace now and Eternal life in the world to come should, therefore, study Christ's lesson, an example of humility with diligence. But whoever neglects humility will lose any benefits. Their good thoughts and works would otherwise have gained them. It behooves each Christian soul to meditate carefully on the teachings of Christ. This includes all religious, all priests, all bishops, all servants, all nobles, all commoners, all educated, and all the simple and Christ teaches us humility, not pride. He teaches us useful things, not vanities. He teaches that what is true, not what is false, what is heavenly, not what is earthly. With this in- introduction to Kempis's book on humility in mind, let's turn to a short practice meditating on Jesus's words on humility carefully, as Kempis has suggested. So, find a quiet location, free from distractions, sitting up straight in a supportive chair. And when you're ready, close your eyes, then say a short prayer to God, asking Him to reveal Himself to you, especially Jesus' humility, in this short practice. Now, when you're ready, begin to slowly, gently, simply, and interiorly recite Jesus' words, I am meek and humble of heart. I am meek and humble of heart. The very words of Jesus. I am meek and humble of heart. again and again, recite the words within. I am meek and humble of heart. Recognizing these are the words coming directly from the Son of God who has modeled meekness and humility to us. I am meek and humble of heart. I am meek And humble of heart. And whenever another thought or feeling, maybe a sensation or memory or image emerges in the inner world, which is inevitable, or some sort of distraction in the outer world, like a sound, ever so gently, in humility, return to Jesus's words, I am meek and humble of heart. I am meek and humble of heart. Again and again, we're shifting from being preoccupied with ourselves to Jesus' words. I am meek and humble of heart. I am meek and humble of heart. Since Jesus, the son of god has modeled humility to us we're letting go of our pride letting go of our need to be the center of attention letting go of our need to control and instead resting in our dependence on him we are finite and dependent and that's okay we were created to rest in god to depend on god to look to god for the answers to not unilaterally decide things on our own to not be at the center God is at the center and our job is to look to Him. I am meek and humble of heart again and again. I am meek and humble of heart over and over again. Resting in the reality that God is at the center and we don't need to be God loves us despite our wayward ways and we don't need to constantly search for the attention of others. We can rest in the reality that God's grace is sufficient and he's loving us right here and right now no matter what we do. I am meek and humble of heart. I am meek and humble of heart. We're recognizing that we are limited. We have limitations. And it's okay to just rest in God in this moment and look to Him as infinitely good. I am meek and humble of heart. And now that this time has come to a close, pray to God, asking Him to help you have an accurate depiction of yourself. Someone who is fallen and and limited and yet is created in God's image in a child of God. We are finite and dependent and limited and these are good things in light of the fact that God has reconciled us to himself through the ultimate act of grace, humbling himself through the incarnation to die for our sins and give us eternal life wherein we can be face to face with God forever. As we conclude, ask Jesus to remind you of the joy of self-forgetfulness and humility as the Christian pastor Gavin Ortland taught in his book. So to conclude this episode, Christian mental and spiritual health, I think involves humility, given Jesus modeled it for us. There's a joy in being able to let go of needing to be at the center and in control and instead recognize with accuracy that we were created to be finite and dependent on God, and that this God, the Creator, Sustainer, and Redeemer, resides at the center and offers His perfect love from moment to moment. Rather than constantly striving to earn the affection and esteem of others, which is fleeting and will not ultimately satisfy, we can rest in God's grace, which is given to us as a free gift We can also rest in the reality that we were created to rest in him. And therefore, we need not feel ashamed of our dependence and finitude. We need not prop ourselves up with pride, false pride, given that by design we are limited and dependent. We don't know all things, and we never can. Overall, if Christian mental health involves emulating Jesus Christ and becoming more like him with the power of the Holy Spirit, what we might call sanctification, we need to start with humility so that we are a vessel for his love. We're an empty vessel, as Andrew Murray suggested, rather than filling ourselves up with pride, propping ourselves up with pride, which can exacerbate suffering and lead to isolation and loneliness. One, because it's not accurate. Two, because at some point, we will run out of the accolades. We will run out of the praise, and then we will be as depleted as ever. And so when we find ourselves turning away from God, trying to put ourselves at the center, struggling to connect with and prioritize others, we're shifting ourselves back, recognizing that Jesus modeled the way through his meekness and humility, And we're practicing emulating Jesus through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as we walk with him home to be with the outstretched arms of the Father. If you like this episode, please share it with others. Consider giving me a good rating on the various podcast platforms. And join me again for another episode of The Christian Psychologist. Thank you.